We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? I've been, well, you know, I've been talking to, to devils lately trying to get you a Comic-Con pass and apparently it worked, so... Yes, oh. it worked. I am officially going to Comic-Con. I'm totally excited. So let let me know if you're going because I don't know anyone who's going to be there right now. So it would be great if there's somebody else who's going that I can, you know, grab some lunch with one of the days. So so let me know uh, on Twitter or email or any of that stuff. But but yes. Yeah, and it only took seven pints of blood. It only took seven pints of blood and a, a little bit of uh, some chanting. And that was it. Yes. So I'll take it. <laughs> now, we uh, we didn't get any comments this week at the website or any iTunes ratings or reviews, but we did get some some ratings and reviews for the Sound of Sight Walking Dead podcast, which, of course, we were both on. Um, we just finished uh, finished that up last week with the finale of the se- of the season. But thank you guys so much. I know some of there's some listener overlap, so if anyone's listening who rated or review- reviewed us um, on iTunes for, for that, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. At the uh, website, uh, it's still Hitchcock month, and we have uh, I have my Warrior Woman list up, and then this week I'm gonna do a ratings uh, a network scorecard for the 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 U.S. networks and how they pass or fail the Bechdel test. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. And then of course uh, we should mention at the end of the podcast we're gonna rather than doing our DVD shelf like we normally would, we thought we should spend a little time talking about this season of Luck, which of course just aired its finale and it's uh, not only season but series finale as well so uh ty landis from the real film podcast came and talked to us uh, a little bit about that on very short notice on very short notice so thank you so much to ty and you guys can check that out at the end of the uh podcast but uh i don't know any 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 uh anything else we should mention before we get into this uh, we got a dance week let's just get in yeah here. Just so much really great TV this week, so uh, let's just let's just yes. dive right in. So we'll go ahead and we'll start with uh, with Tuesday and Justified. Guy walks into a bar, and as I re- recall from your review, this is your favorite episode of the season so far. Well, I think it's it's my favorite episode of the serialized portion of the season. I think if you stack it up against Thick as Mud, it's still it's kind of neck and neck. <laughs> I'm not sure how to do. I don't. It's like you know, picking my favorite inbred weird southern children <laughs> but yeah i thought this was great i mean the only reason it's not spotlit this week is because a we're kind of tired of spotlighting justified we feel like people will get bored i'm not tired of it there's just we can't have two <laughs> yeah that's true yeah so anyway we, we felt like switching it up this week for a variety of reasons but i really thought this was just awesome through and through and i have to give uh, our boy timo some credit because as i've mentioned a few times over the last couple seasons, he's really stepped up in his producer role to really start improvising things on set that he thinks are more Leonardian, if you want to put it that way. And apparently the whole setting the the showdown at the bar 
in those circumstances was pretty much his idea and and it's awesome right? it's fantastic <laughs> i mean originally apparently they were going to have them face off in the same scene as we had the the kid come up to quarrels and so he was going to have to defend quarrels in some like long, bigger standoff and that mm -hmm. sounds interesting but not nearly as badass well and also that would have taken away from that fabulous scene that we got with the kid and quarrels i thought that was such a such a masterful performance from from Neil McDonough and and also the writing and just also just the cutbacks to Jerry Burns are just hilarious. <laughs> um, yes, so I, Jerry Burns deserves some sort of award in rea for reaction shots this season. He's been awesome. So just I mean by moving that scene and putting it in the bar, which is just I mean we know that I love me a western. I love a western, and that's just as quintessentially western as you can get. So I loved how stylized and heightened and just totally badass that scene was. But not only did we get that because of it, but it also, I think that probably made the earlier scene with Quarles even better too. So, I mean, it was just a fabulous episode. Yeah, I mean, I really can't think of much to complain about. I think, you know, for us, Limehouse continues to be a bit of a thorn in the side, but... We'll see. You know, it it's, it seems churlish to complain when everything is, is churning along so well. And I'm re and, and, uh, there's other stuff we haven't even mentioned, like, to me, the funniest scene in the show's history. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that <laughs> out there. When Raylan tries to corner this old lady, the um, the grandmother of the guy who took the rap for the Helen shooting and she, and she orders two milkshakes and it's I know there weren't technically any milkshakes there but <laughs> definitely the best use of milkshakes in pop culture since there will be blood yeah it's pretty great <laughs> just her expression was priceless it was it was such a great you know like no no words one scene performance but hilarious and now I feel like maybe if Margot Martindale had been 25 years older, she might have beaten Raylan in the end just because he would have thought she was so unassuming. <laughs> it's the second time in a row he's been conned by an old lady. Oh, man. So much fun. Yeah. <laughs> the scene with Quarles and Boyd was great. Mm -hmm. And whenever they meet up, it seems to be fantastic. I, now that Quarles is, in a, is basically in a corner and is totally become, you know, oxy-sniffing... <laughs> like absolute yeah. crazy man i i'm very excited to see where things are headed yeah well and just the the manipulation of the sheriff's race well oh, oh my god we haven't even mentioned the amazing opening scene with with, with uh, yeah with jim beaver jim beaver uh, <laughs> how i love jim beaver this is well documented but i i, I really like that they gave him a chance to just be at an, a, an almost railing level badass well, and I love that he's smart and he's wily, and because Jim Beaver has an inherent trustworthiness, I think, in his demeanor and in the the gravitas that he lends scenes, and that's why, for example, he was such a great figure on on Supernatural for so long, um, as well as on Deadwood, of course. And so to to play into that with this opening scene and then immediately subvert it by revealing that he was lying and that he you know, doesn't intend to, to keep these guys on. He doesn't have cancer at all. I think it was really interesting. And it also shows why he's going in with, with Boyd. Cause yeah. just normally if I was to say a Jim Beaver character, I would assume that they would be more trustworthy. They would be more uh, with Raylan. They wouldn't want to bend the, you know, the rules so much. So I thought that was really great. 
Yeah, and I think it's really this week that we start to really see the Jim Beaver character's sort of true colors, maybe for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see where it goes from here, but I I can't wait. I'm going to miss this show so much when it's off the air. <laughs> yes, let's not think about that yet. There's still four episodes left. There's still three episodes left. Oh, oh, only three. Okay, <laughs> moving forward, though. Moving forward, uh, New Girl, Fancy Man Part 1. What did you think of this guy? You know what's funny about this episode? I think this might be the first time that Jake Johnson has stolen the show. Hmm. I, I really felt like just his many, and, and they really felt improvised, his many reactions to <laughs> Dermot Mulroney's Fancy Man Home were just pitch perfect to me, and there was probably about 50 of them. So that, to me, was enough to give the episode a pass. I really I enjoyed his performance, but more than anything, I think I enjoyed this, the writing for for him in this episode. The just the 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 progression i thought was was well done and just lines of dial like when he starts describing the study and how it makes him feel and how he understands hunting now uh <laughs> it was it was a fun episode and i think that uh at first when i heard that Dolman mulrooney was coming on the show as a love interest for for julie deschanel it was sort of squicky to me because of the huge age difference and the fact that i can't think of a show that's done that sort of an age difference where the woman is older than the man. And also, let's face it, Dermot Mulrooney is not that interesting. Uh, I think he can be charming. I think uh, I think when used well, you know, he, I don't think he can pull off anything, but I think that he's very good at what he's good at, and he's good in this episode. That's true. You know, he's, he certainly doesn't embarrass himself. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to part two, which will be tonight, theoretically, so we'll see yes. how it goes. Then there's also Cougar Town, something big. I'm just going to quickly... Um, say a few words on on this one. I enjoyed the episode. Uh, I thought that it was a, it was an interesting thing. They thought they did the surprise kid storyline pretty well, which you know, for example, Gilmore Girls struggled with. So even good series sometimes get uh, thrown off by that sort of storyline. But I think it worked well, and uh, we'll see we'll see where that goes and how much of a recurring figure that the surprise daughter is. But uh, you know. I enjoyed the episode. I watched Happy Endings, which was, um, I still thought a fun episode, not quite as, as entertaining for me as last week, but uh, we find out Alex was a hardcore bully, which was pretty pretty great, and con- contrasting that with Dave, who's just such a pushover. I, I love the return of drama, was uh, a lot of fun. Um, I, 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 the na- Maybe it's Dustin, the character's name is escaping me at the moment, but I thought he was used very well and was a nice foil for Max this week. And uh, as for the whole Jane chilling out thing, I, I, it didn't work as well for me, but it was still pretty fun. And I enjoyed some of the, the guest cast this week as well. It was nice to see uh, some, some familiar faces. So so I, I, I had some fun with happy endings as well. Then there was the pilot to Bent with Amanda Pete and uh, a host of familiar faces, I would say. What did you think of that? I really, really wanted to like this based on the fact that NBC is intent on just killing it quickly. <laughs> Yeah. And I if I likes me an underdog and the supporting cast is ridiculous. I mean, Jeffrey Tambor and JB Smoove and and uh, Pasha Lin- Linchikov, who we best know as as Blazanov from Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Of course, Jesse Pl- Plemons. And yeah, Jesse Plemons, of course. Yeah. And it, it took me a minute to remember where I'd seen Linchikov before. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I wasn't crazy about this. I think, first of all, I think it has the immediate problem of, of the supporting cast mentioned being way more interesting than our leads. I think that's clearly an issue. We have a very 
TV kid oh, issue so in the form of in in, in the form of Amanda Peet's daughter. We have it's it's a very it's an extremely piloty pilot. Like it's it's pushing its very flimsy premise in your face as often as possible, and that doesn't help. And I don't know. It, and I didn't really laugh much. Like maybe a couple of chuckles, but it wasn't very funny. So yeah, not a great pilot for me. Uh, I enjoy Amanda Peet. I, I I like her on several different. I mean, I remember watching her on Jack and Jill forever ago on the WB. Uh, so I, I've enjoyed her for quite a while. Um, I do think that it's not a perfect pilot, but I do think it's it's better than most of the other comedy pilots we've seen this season, which isn't saying that much, I suppose. But uh, I do think that uh, while I'm totally with you on the annoyingly precocious daughter, there was one line of dialogue in particular uh, that just kind of was ridiculous as far as that goes early in the in the pilot. But um, they need to fix the writing for that character, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a war going on TV between good TV <laughs> children and bad TV children. Yeah, they. Oh man, if we ever needed a Hunger Games, right? That would just yeah. get rid of all the annoying kids and only leave the good ones. But um, but no, I do think it's it is fun. I think it's uh, yeah. I really enjoyed Jesse Plemons on here, uh, getting to do something that is not too far away from Landry, but uh, but I still think is a distinct character. So I just enjoy seeing him on my screen. I think Jeffrey Tambor isn't that great. I don't think he works that well in the show. He seems a little bit sleepy, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, I would cut him from the show because I don't think he really fits with... I mean, they need to work him in better, but I have heard that it gets better over the next two weeks when it's going to be the, the fourth and fi- third and fourth this week and then fifth and sixth episodes next week. So theoretically, there's only two more weeks of the show. So, Wow. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I you would agree, though, that it's better than most of the other comedy pilots this season? It's better than some of them, but I I don't think I liked it as much as as much as you did. Okay. I, I really wanted to like it more based on. I mean, it's got Blazinov, but <laughs> but yeah, it didn't really do that much for me. Yeah. Next we have on Thursday, Community Contemporary Impressionists. Um, controversial, up somewhat, uh, at least on the internet. Uh, I mean, I've been seeing a lot of mixed reaction. What did you think? It's funny when I started watching this episode, I thought to myself, "Have I seen this before?" I had this this really strong sense that this was somehow a rehash of an earlier episode, uh, at least the opening conversation. Regardless, community, we need to have a serious chat <laughs> because I feel obligated to talk about you because people like you on the Internet. And yet every time I sit down to watch you, I just get this dead feeling inside. So I don't know. Are you breaking up Do with I community? Up with, I, I don't know. This is happening in real time, folks. I'm having this. Thought process in real time. Yeah, it's happening. You know what? Screw you, community. This, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like they're so content to rehash the same character beats and the same sort of pop culture jokes. And it's really just, it's doing nothing for me. I'm watching colors and images move on the screen and and nothing is happening in my brain. So I think it's time for me to stop trying to talk about it. Fair enough. Um, I will agree this wasn't a great episode. Uh, By the time that Jeff hulks out, I was completely disconnected from everything that was happening on screen. Um, There were some nice touches for me, the notion of Britta as late Michael Jackson, uh, or later career Michael Jackson, was was pretty funny to me. Um, And I do think they had some fun with with the different... um, 
I mean, I think French Stewart was good. I thought it was funny uh, in his brief role. Uh, but I just think that the the writing just wasn't there this week. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the late episode uh, c- confrontation, I guess, between Troy and Abed was, was nice. But if it only works for me if that continues, if that is a new wrinkle to their relationship and not just something that has, is, is mentioned when convenient and forgotten when convenient. So... I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, I find I find Abed a problematic character at best and uninteresting at worst. So I'm n- not too. I, I, I'm not going to miss finding out what happens to them. Goodbye, community. <laughs> I, I, it's it's over. Um. So you are breaking up with community. How are you feeling about Thirty Rock? Thirty Rock has been, I think, chugging along pretty steadily for me. I mean, it's it's comfort food at this point, but I think it's doing it relatively well. We got two new episodes this week. I think for me, Kidnapped by Danger was the more uh, sort of uh, memorable of the two. And I have to say I was way more impressed slash amused by Daniel Baldwin's Alec Baldwin impression (laughs) than I was by any of the impressions we got on Community this week, which probably tells you something. And uh, I I liked pretty much everything with Jane Krakowski trying out for the role of Avery and her, her sort of battle with Weird Al. And I don't know, I, I, I... I'm enjoying 30 Rock these days. It's, it's like I said, it, it's kind of a passive enjoyment, which sounds like a condemnation, but that has its virtues as well. Yeah, I would agree. The second episode worked better for me as as well. The, the Kenneth stuff hasn't been working for me this season, and I was, I was glad when they gave him a real job to do there, but once again, they've kind of taken that away, so... Uh, I, I, I'm really not interested in where they've been taking him. Um, I agree. That, so, those have definitely been the weak points of these episodes. Well, and, and the, the Christian Shaw stuff, I mean, she's fabulous. Don't get me wrong. We love her. And we're going to talk more about her once we get to Bob's Burgers, I'm sure. But like that, I mean, that storyline hasn't been working for me either. At least this week it didn't. Um, I wasn't very interested in it with, uh, I think that was in Grand Mentor. Yeah, Grand Mentor. Yeah. So, I mean... We'll 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 see if they can bring that around, but I, I do think that the like you were saying the, uh, the Billy Baldwin stuff was hilarious and really oh, right. Sorry, I said the wrong Baldwin earlier. Sorry, Baldwin, sue me. There was so much anger there, Simon. So much <laughs> anger. <laughs> um, I have problems. I, I thought that worked really well, um, and uh, I also like that they that they did bring back how conflicted and messy and weird uh jack's relationship is with with avery and that whole the 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 way that that storyline went i I thought that was really interesting and showed a nice series memory and i appreciated it so i thought cynthia nixon was, was pretty good as fake nancy um I like the the joke at their own expense about the accent, but um, in general, I just would have so much rather had had uh, one episode of Thirty Rock and one episode of Parks and Rec, or two episodes of Parks and Rec. That would have been better yeah, too. Yeah, well, the, you have to wait another month for Parks and Rec to come back, so yeah, let's not let's not even think about it for a while. <laughs> but what we will think about is how much we're going to miss, miss Archer because it just had its finale, Space Race Part Two. Uh, we really liked the first part. What did you think of the second part? Uh, also pretty awesome. Maybe maybe a hair's breadth below part one, but still awesome. I mean, the whole season's just been. I mean, what's the worst episode been? Maybe the uh, the the George Decay episode for me. I don't know. And even that probably had 
six or seven solid belly laughs in it probably. I mean, this is just a, a tremendous show. I think fairly consistently the funniest show on TV. Yeah. And I, I'm really, really sad to have to say goodbye to it for almost another year. But I'm encouraged by the fact that its ratings have been going up and FX is really behind it. So I assume we're going to get a few more years of it, which is just which just tickles me. <laughs> and and hey, we've got and we've got Bob's Burgers to keep the H. John Benjamin spirit alive. Absolutely. But in particular, I, I thought the episode did a lot of really clever stuff, especially with I was really hoping they weren't going to bring Barry in to the finale and I mentioned that and I was oh I'm so glad they're not doing Barry and then Barry showed up I was like uh, and then but he was perfectly employed and I just I just love the for me the the, the highlight was just that whole sequence of Barry taunting him into a giant basically <laughs> battle and oh it was awesome just, oh he wants to do it so bad <laughs> I didn't think he would be able to resist that showed such uh growth for archer which is sad it's sad that that is growth the fact that he's not going to uh basically sign his own and his friend's death warrant based on his ego alone uh but the you know that should be a, a no-brainer but instead for archer it's a real struggle and i thought that was so yeah. well done <laughs> well and there's also the sense if you're watching an animated show that they'll do more spectacle just because they can because it's it's exactly the same amount of money to do spectacle mm-hmm. or no spectacle. So, and it's very rare to see an animated show choose no spectacle. Yeah, to go the more restrained route. Yeah. So that was that was interesting. Yeah, it's been a great season. I think the standout for me is the limited. I still <laughs> love that episode. Um, I mean, for me, the the least successful was the murder mystery episode. I, I wasn't a big fan of that. I know you liked it a lot more than I did. Um, but but still, it's it's been consistently, like you said, the best comedy on television, and I'm certainly gonna miss yeah. it. And I'm and I mean, hats off to Adam Reed, who's basically pulling a Louis C.K. in the writers' room. I mean, I think this season. One or two other people get a story credit or a screenplay credit here, but he's writing this all himself and also voicing Ray and having it be the, his voice is the voice of the show, and he's almost as much as a, of an auteur in that sense here. So he's uh, he's just done incredible work, and I hope he gets to take a break for a couple months, but probably he won't. Uh, next we have Awake. Kate is enough. Uh, which is the what the fourth or fifth episode at this point? Um, what did you think of this episode? And also, wh- I, I think I feel like after four or five episodes, it's fair to start making assessments on the series as a whole. Are you still interested in this show, or is it time to to stop spending your time on it? I think I'm still interested personally. Um, it's funny because this show and and Fringe are, I think, whether or not they they mean to, and I don't think they do they're kind of probing similar territory in terms of looking at how sort of split universes can affect a single individual. And I think if, if anything, I think Awake's doing it a little more interestingly right now, which is maybe, you know, I mean, Fringe does other things well, but I, I think that Kyle Killen, I mean, he's said that he's not really, I mean, he's the showrunner and he also wrote this episode and he's said that, police procedurals are not really his thing. Like he's, he doesn't have any experience writing them and he didn't really know how they worked. So he, for this show, he really had to learn how. And I think given that, I think the procedural aspect is working really nicely. And I think that the, in the episode, I mean, here we have the same woman appear in both universes and she's got a connection to the Jason Isaacs character. and 
she has two different fates in each one. And I think the way you find out that she has two different fates is a little bit too pat, a little bit too easy that he just figures it out. But I still think the, sh- the show is bringing up a lot of interesting ideas, and I think the visual schemas are working really nicely, and the acting and writing are pretty solid. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to keep up with it. Yeah, I, I agree. I do think it's doing pretty well. Um, for for me, while I very much enjoyed uh, most of this episode, I was still somewhat annoyed by the fact that they went back to the the, the setup of before of the pilots in these other episodes, where everyone has people have diverging lives and have had diverging lives for years unlike last week where it was people had parallel exactly the same lives um in the two universes with the the case of the week people that is um and and so that's that conflict is bugging me as a, I guess as a genre mm-hmm. fan and a, a nitpicker and all of that so that that still is bothering me i wish they would pick one and go with it and i really wish they would pick the way that they did it in this episode, because I agree, I do think it's it's well done and a nice way of exploring grief and exploring what can ha- the way your life can go and how one moment can really shape the path that you're on. I think the performances were, were strong. I like I can't I didn't unfortunately I don't know the name of the actress who who guessed it as Kate, but I thought she was really good in both of her performances. And um, yeah, I'm liking the show. Uh, also, for listeners of the Mark Kermode uh, film podcast or, or radio show, uh, Jason Isaacs did his ukulele uh, shout out this week. There were a couple words that um, Kermode and his listeners got him to incorporate into the show as like a shout out to the to the radio show, which was ukulele and uh, teapot. So teapot hasn't happened yet, but ukulele has. So that's... I'm trying to remember when ukulele happened. He's not gonna be playing ukulele in heaven. The oh, the guy, yeah. the fingers are all messed up. Which well is done, of Isaacs. A, I know it's hard to work that in, right? But uh, thought that was pretty cool. So hello to Jason Isaacs out there, and uh, I thought that was pretty pretty fun. So yeah, I, I still I agree. I I still am interested in the show, and I don't know how it's doing the ratings, but I hope it'll stick around for a while. Yes, yeah, so do I. It's definitely so. NBC's most interesting drama right now we'll get to smash later we'll, we'll get there <laughs> so now it's time for simon to enter the isolation chamber so i can talk about vampire diaries <laughs> and he's there yeah this episode was a lot better than last week and uh and i and i i did really enjoy how much fun for example matt davis was having playing regular rick and then like ring possessed rick which, which was really cool but for me the the, the best takeaway of the episode or, or my biggest takeaway from the episode that is was how much I really do enjoy Elena and I really enjoy Nina Dobrev's performance um, as her because it's such a, a quiet role most of the time as compared to for example Catherine who's such a showy character but Elena is such a, a quiet role and she really gives it a lot of strength and interest and depth and so she's doing great work over there um, on, on Vampire Diaries and also I've I've not always been the biggest fan of of Bonnie, the the character, or, or the actress either. Um, but I did really like her this week, and hopefully, while I'm not that interested in the way they've chosen to go with Abby, hopefully they'll start giving her more to do, giving Bonnie more to do, so that the actress can try to spread her wings a bit. Um, so I, I don't know what she's capable of really at this point because they haven't given her that much. So maybe they need to start taking more risks with that character and letting the actress really shine. So, but in general, better than last week, much more interesting, and uh, and I look forward to where it's going. 
And we're back from the isolation chamber. Uh, you'll be glad to hear better than last week. Real improvement. Oh, and I, I will also mention my review is up at, uh, of the episode is up at soundoset.org. If you want to see my fuller thoughts on the episode, you can check that out there. But yeah. Ray. So when are you going to get back to your Vampire Diaries watching? Oh, I've got so much to do. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm watching. Uh, I won't say what I'm watching yet, but I'm watching stuff for the series for the for televised it's coming up later it's gonna be big yeah and got yeah it's gonna be a while it's it's yeah. sort of like fourth on the queue or something yeah yeah you have a bunch of different series that you're working on at the moment so i just just a little good natured ribbing you know it's all good um next we have supernatural the born again identity and again i have a review of this up at the website um spoiler alert the character that we thought was dead but whose body we never saw isn't really dead that's not really a spoiler because this is genre television and that's that's one of the main rules um i thought that the, there were two characters who came back this week who we haven't seen in quite a while i thought it was really cool to pair both of them together i thought it worked well i like the exploration we got of dean and his his psyche right now and where he's at with his relationships i thought that it was um smart to give Sam something to do while Lucifer is banging around in his head and Mark Pellegrino of course is just so much fun as, as Lucifer just chewing up the scenery gobbling it down and dangerous levels of, of scenery chewing uh, but it really works for, for the character so I think it was uh, a real, a fun episode and a good sign or good indicator of what's to come so we'll, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for the rest of the season but it looks like it's on the right track so I'm excited then we also had on Friday Fringe a short story about love and again as well i'm 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 miss genre shows i guess over at sound on site but my review for fringe is also up at the website um i was somewhat mixed on this episode but glad of certain shall we say reveals what did you think i think mixed is the right word fringe is a weird show in the sense that sometimes tonally it's just right and sometimes it's it's really off and i think this week it 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 veered so weirdly between being really emotionally engaging and being corny as hell. I think t for me, the scene that was the worst offender actually didn't have to do with the freak of the week. Who's, you know, kid who is essentially killing people who are in love, which I was expecting to be corny wins just sort of average. Uh, for me, the worst offender was the scene where Olivia is taking, uh, talking to a woman who they think is going to be killed and, and isn't. And we get this rack focusing over and over between her <laughs> and um, and Lincoln <laughs> and Lincoln in the background. We're trying to know this is about how he feels, which we don't care about at all. Because they haven't to... made us care about it because they dropped the ball on that plot line for and weeks. That, and that character period. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it was just that, that whole it was is a combination of that storyline not being well handled and the direction being insanely heavy handed. And that was, and some of the scoring too. Yeah, it was. That was not a good moment. Uh, on the other hand, the scenes with Olivia and Nina are really good. They were great. Yeah. Yeah. On now, on the other other hand, I'm still not sold on why this renegade observer cares about uh, about Peter and Olivia so much. The the I think I think the problem for me is that they made these characters too powerful, too omnipotent, too intelligent. And mm -hmm. so now I'm expected to believe that that some of them get involved in the affairs of humans, and I, mean, I don't know. Is he in love with Peter? Is this what we're going to find <laughs> out? Like, because that would make a lot of sense. That would actually fix a lot of the show. 
but that says, something tells me they don't really have the balls to do that. So I don't know. Am, 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 is this a is this a legitimate grievance here? I, it doesn't bother me at all. I because I, he is so, he is removed from the the collective, as it were, of the rest of the observers. He is an anomaly in his the fact that he's gotten personally involved, um, and maybe it's just something as simple as he knew that Peter would free him. He knew that he was going to get stuck in observer jail or whatever, and that Peter would probably, if he poked him the right way, would let him out. And but he so wouldn't he have him... been in observer jail in the first place if he hadn't been toying with Peter. Well, the, I guess if he had completely erased Peter in one of the early episodes of the season, when he was supposed to, then it wouldn't have come up. But in, for the most part, he hasn't really been toying that much with, with Peter. I, I, he's been give he gave some ominous warnings to Olivia, but okay, toying with people, whatever. But people, anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't I, know. I'm I, just it, just the whole observer thing is just it's just been a thorn in my side. Um, yeah, which is no slight on Michael Cerveris because he's great. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, there was some good stuff. There was some not so good stuff this week. I'm really eager for them to kick it up a notch and get to sort of the last run of the season, which is which traditionally is a good time for them. Yeah, so we'll it's going to be happens. every week. Um, it's going to be a new episode every every week until the finale. So we should have theoretically a nice build up. Um, for me though, I do want to mention that I, as much as a difficulty as I had with the the villain of the week, just because he was so undeveloped, uh, I loved the scenes with Nina and and with uh, Olivia, particularly the last scene because they they get into real hardcore sci-fi topics they you know the 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 notion of the self the fact that she's gonna give up her identity basically to these memories this other person this other life that she never lived that's that's intense stuff it's mm -hmm. serious shit basically and they they tackle it head on and they give it the weight that it deserves and it actually kind of comes out of nowhere because they haven't done as much of that yeah. particularly recently but i i feel it was almost like a punch to the stomach when they that scene was just so well played between those between Anna Torv and Blair Brown. It was, I love seeing some real sci-fi concepts on TV. Yeah. That's a bit of a trend this week of late scenes and episodes that kind of cut to the heart of maybe what a show should be. We'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, another, I would say mixed, but for me overall positive because of that last scene for you, it sounds like less I'm so mixed. I mean, I still like the show for sure, but I'm, a little yeah. anxious to see it get get a little bit more um, batshit, I think is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> looking forward to more craziness. Well, and that's a perfect transition because next we have Eastbound and Down. And if there's <laughs> anything to describe this episode, it's Lily Tomlin and batshit. <laughs> so uh, yeah. what did you think? Lily Tomlin, to me, makes this episode. I mean, I, I was excited about seeing her last week. And but I I really I think I underestimated just how awesome she would be because I to me she she was just running roughshod over this episode in the most awesome way possible, and it's funny because this was sort of like a very special episode of Eastbound and Down in the sense that we got father son reconciliation and and parent reconciliation and well I guess Steve is still a weird bald freak but which is <laughs> by the way an awesome visual and I think the best thing they've had <laughs> I I know it's it's almost cruel but it's the best thing they've had Stevie do in a long time. Um, 
And yeah, just every time someone stops the episode to give a speech, it was pretty much always golden. I, I especially loved Kenny's uh, bowling alley speech near the end, in which he claims that, yes, he is strong enough to be a woman. Uh, <laughs> just in general, I just I thought the writing was pretty sharp this week. And I, that, it's funny because if this were the second to last episode of the series, I would assume they're just going full bore for a heartwarming conclusion, you know, of mm-hmm. sorts. But there's two left. That makes me wonder what they're up to. They're they're devious over there. Yeah, we'll we'll see which way it goes. I had so much fun with Lily Tomlin in this episode. I've yeah, you know, I've enjoyed her. I, I grew up sort of watching old SNL reruns, so I've, I've liked her for a very long time. Uh, but but she was just so great in this episode, and uh, such a perfect pick to fit in with the with the tone of the show and with with all of this craziness. And I like that. Though I don't respect her because she takes her loser husband back the day after he tries to steal her family's silver, uh, I I still I it makes sense with who Kenny is. Yeah, the the fact that she's someone who would do that it it sort of makes sense in the world. So I you know I I I very much enjoyed this episode and I'm looking forward to seeing how the season finishes up. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And then after that, we had Bob's Burgers, which features synchronized swimming and soft serve ice cream and uh, uh, and more Kevin Klein. So what did you think? Uh, this show c- continues to be delightfully weird for me. I mean, I think it was probably on balance my least favorite of the new season so far, but it's it's really just by degrees. I mean, everything to do with the many soft serve dreams, <laughs> which included a, an ice cream apocalypse at one point. I don't know if sensitive viewers at home spotted that and maybe were scared uh, a lot of a lot of weird stuff going on in this episode especially and also uh the many visions of tom Selleck. unfortunately not <laughs> yeah. actually voiced by tom Selleck, although that would have been amazing i'm surprised they can get kevin klein yeah. and the silvermans around but no tom Selleck really oh well they'll have to try maybe they didn't even try for him maybe they should, they should get him on. Yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed this episode a lot. Uh, just as the notion of trying to get out of PE because it's a stupid requirement is uh, a lot of fun to me. I don't know if you could tell where I fall down on that topic. But uh, <laughs> PE is required in Illinois for every single grade of school. But math isn't. So, you know, that's I'm pretty priorities. sure PE is required everywhere in North America. I don't know. I know I got out of it senior year to take Latin and film with with a very well-worded let- letter, uh, uh-huh. I managed to get out of it. But uh, Did you write it yes, in Latin? It... No, I did not, because I had not yet taken Latin, because uh-huh. I needed to get out of gym to be able to take Latin. Uh-huh. Anyways, sorry, I, I, I digress. Uh, it, it was a fun episode. I'm really enjoying this season, and uh, just, like, I was wondering how they were going to get around Louise's bunny ears in the pool, and I like that the issue never actually came up, so I thought that was well-handled. Uh, but, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this episode. Totally. Next, we had The Amazing Race, and we all did terrible in the pool. Yeah, we sucked. <laughs> we really sucked. One person got four points, one person got two points, and the rest of us got nothing. Yeah, I got two points, by the way, so booyah. <laughs> yep, the I, I got d- bumped from third place to fourth place with my measly, like, 14 points or something like that. Yeah, and I was really close. I, I, had things gone a little differently, I, I, I might have swung 12 points this week, but no dice. Now the uh the, the 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 Jersey guys are the ones who got eliminated, which I none of us clearly none of us expected, at yeah. least in the pool, because nobody put any points on them to get eliminated. And I spread mine pretty thin too, you know, between the different teams. But um and we so we had uh the, the, the hay bales, uh and we had 
Uh, what what else was going on? The fire dance is pretty sweet, gotta say. Underwater. Yeah. So, what was the final challenge? The final challenge was the uh, the waxing. Oh that? my god, the oil! That yeah. was so gross! Yeah, complete with lots of, like, <laughs> you feel like if they keep talking, they're gonna say something homophobic. Art and JJ. Like, oh, I thought that was so hilarious. <laughs> just like just their level of the level of wrongness, you know, in their voices and at just the, the concept of bathing in crude oil. Yeah, I, I feel like they must have spent some time in a fret just from the way they interact with things. Maybe this is why I don't like them. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad to see my boys Mark and Bopper doing a little better every week mm -hmm. after basically they should have been eliminated four weeks ago and they weren't. So, mm -hmm. and they've just been a, a joy to watch and they, yeah. they were what second or third this week. Yeah, they were, they did pretty well this week. I think they're like third. Yeah. Uh, something like that. But yeah, I've, I mean, I actually enjoyed art and JJ this week. I thought that, I mean, maybe it's because I was just so grossed out of the concept of having to scrape someone off with, uh, from crude oil bathing. So maybe I just was with them in, in that one segment but I, I did actually enjoy them a lot more this week than i have in the past several so i'm feeling okay about having picked them but mm -hmm. i still want mark and bopper to win i also i mean rachel and dave were my initial pick to win and then mm -hmm. i switched to mark and bopper and then of course they have to go and win this week so now i feel like a dick yeah but i mean we'll just see how long it takes them to start squabbling and mess it all up again yeah luckily so. they're not the ones we see squabbling in the preview for next week which looks insanely bitchy <laughs> they need like but the problem is the big brother team they're really annoying but they're good at this reality show stuff because they have experience with it so they continue to not get last and not, not even be in the bottom half usually they need to start sucking more because yeah, i well I've, i'm ready for them to be gone i still think there's a distinct difference between being good at big brother and being good at the amazing race like one is considerably true. more difficult that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see what happens. I, I'm ready for at least one of the squabbling couples to get eliminated. Yeah, Vanessa and what's his name are free to go anytime as well. Although they're not nearly as annoying. Yeah, it's, that, that that's true. Um, but yeah, so another fun week. We'll see what happens next week. We'll see if we get some shakeups in the the Amazing Race pool. Adam is still d dominating. He's in thirty points something, uh, and, and Dan is not that far behind in tw like I think he's like thirty two and twenty four mm -hmm. points, first and second place. So with my phantom points, I'm about tied. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, your phantom points don't count. They count up here. That's all that matters, baby. Next, after that, we had the Good Wife Blue Ribbon Panel, and uh, we had the, the introduction of Matthew Perry, who, uh, I don't know if he'll be back or not. I feel like maybe oh, he's supposed to Oh, come on, he'll be back. But it was, I know, what did you think of this episode? Because the show needs more guest stars, right? Um, I thought it was pretty solid. I, th I think maybe about on par with last week. It was, I mean, one of the most interesting things to me about the Good Wife isn't so much the interpersonal drama as just them finding new legal avenues to explore and sort of things just things to see on TV that we haven't necessarily seen before. This week we get this sort of um, police review board that she winds up on and they have a very different sort of style and rhythm than the than a regular courtroom and a different sense of politics and it was a, that was a really interesting process to watch. I mean it's accuracy I have no idea of measuring but Mm -hmm. um, less interesting to me was the return of Kalinda and her, you know, sort of flirtatious, strange relationship with that FBI agent, which 
I don't know. I had forgotten she existed, and I was perfectly happy. But they guess they felt the need to bring that back. I don't, I don't know. Does that interest you at all? Um, I think it could be interesting, but they need to spend the time on it. They need to do more than just give her a scene where Clint is flirting with her in public and she's in the closet so she doesn't want her colleagues to know that she's gay. They need to do more legwork than just let, you know, let Archie Punjabi's chemistry with most of the people in the cast with, carry. With humans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, I would say she, I mean, she has great chemistry with every member of the cast that we've seen her with. It's not always sexual chemistry, but she, she works really well. She's very No, versatile. I think it's always sexual, including yeah, with, with Will. It's always sexual. No, I'm just messing with you. But um, and I, I kind of love the way the – because we haven't seen Jackie in like 10 weeks or something. Oh, my God. That was great. And I, I love the way basically the entire episode that wasn't didn't have to do with the review board was basically like a supervillain entering <laughs> entering the show. with like, oh, my God, there's another Floric. Like, it was, they may as well have had like that Spike Lee shot of like zoom in, dolly out on Alicia's face like – Oh my god. They like they, they should have had strobe lights and and glitter. Oh, see that's what I was feeling though when I was watching it. Yeah, I of course I also assumed that it was Peter. Uh and then once it became clear I was like, "Oh my god, that bitch. Oh, that bi- <laughs> the bitch is back." And it's funny because before it, it for a long time it kind of felt like they were ambiguous about Jackie, like she, you could kind of feel where she was coming from, but Maybe mm-hmm. she was doing it the wrong way. And then this time they've just utterly embraced that she's a total bitch and everyone hates her. <laughs> a bitch with $1.9 million, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where that came from, but I, I guess it kind of makes sense. She has always seemed pretty uh, upper crust, but... That's a lot of money. Well, it's just a down payment, so it's less money than that right away, but... Yeah. What did you think of the, the rest of the episode, the, the squabbling between the partners, for example? Uh, that was that was all fun. I mean, it's not too consequential for me, really. But as long as they can do it in a, in a way that's entertaining, it works for me. And that was that was done just fine. We got some some good guest stars, of course, on both on the panel. Some re- recurring. I enjoyed seeing Kurt Fuller. Uh, by the way, he I always enjoy him um, on the panel as well as the that uh, that older gentleman at the the at the law firm who who will recommends who his name the actor's name escapes me at the moment, but he's been fabulous on any number of different shows, including of course The Sopranos. Um, but yeah, I, I think th- th- this felt more manageable. They keep, t- they keep expanding the guest cast, but I feel like episodes like this feel a little more balanced between mm-hmm. the main, the main characters and then just introducing some other people that w- they would interact with. So it makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, we're definitely going to see Matthew Perry again. Come on. When have they ever had a <laughs> guest star who never didn't come back? Yeah. I, I, I also will add just as a closing thing, I, I, as even though it was promoed st- so much i still love the line candyland is simple as a player of far too many games even drinking candyland doesn't make that game interesting <laughs> so <laughs> anyways um let's let's move on to the next one uh, we're gonna of course talk about mad men in our spotlight and luck in our in our instead of our dvd shelf so that takes us t- to monday where uh, i had lo- uh, lost girl which was another solid episode i know some more people uh so i know some people who listen to the show are, are starting to catch up with that series so that i i think that's great and i hope you guys are having as much fun with it as i am uh i'm a little nervous about the fact that they're taking away mystery from some of the more mysterious characters but 
I'm still, I think they've earned my trust at this point. The writers have earned my trust. So another solid episode for Lost Girl. Then we had The Voice, the battle rounds, the fourth time through. I'm going to assume that you didn't get to this one. No, Monday's... As I've mentioned, are not a good day for not me. Not so much. Okay. Uh, the battle rounds were pretty good this week. There were a few. I think the battle rounds this season, as compared to last season, are worlds better than, than they were. The, 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 the coaches clearly have a better idea of how to pick um, pairings and how, how to, to work with the teams to, to bring out their best. I love that we see one of the. This week, one of the judges, uh, Adam, switches the song because it just isn't working. And I kind of wished that a few of the judges had done that in weeks past because there have been a few where it just was clearly not the right choice for the, the singers. Um, there were some really good performances. Um, very, I think the last performance of the evening, which was for CeeLo's team, was the one that came closest to to topping that week one performance that we had that was so strong um but i'm excited for the live rounds to start i'm, I'm ready to to hear these people doing what they do best instead of trying to mold to fit some sort of odd um duet situation so i think i think the teams are pretty solid and i'm looking forward to to next week all right so next week after after that we have smash and uh simon should we do it should we what Spotlight of shame. No, 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 no. It's got no, so much fine. more room to get worse. I feel like <laughs> when I feel like when shame hits bottom, it's going to make it very obvious. It's going to make it easy on us. It's going to explode. There's going to be viscera, and it's it's going to be ugly, and it's going to be glorious. This wasn't See, quite that. See, that's what I was thinking with it, but then I remembered that terrible bowling number. <laughs> I hated that so much. They started dancing down the lanes, and the only thing I could think is that doesn't work. You would slip and fall on your butt because those are wax, so that the ball will go down there. Oh my god, when did this turn into a bad episode of Fame? Yeah, it, well, it's funny because there was a similarly staged sequence in He's Bounding Down this week, and you can see as as you know as Jenny McBride and D Don Johnson are going up to the to, to as they're doing their speeches, they're they're basically shuffling along very slowly <laughs> because it is really slippery. And yeah. uh, here that's that's not happening. I mean, the thing about that number is more than any other drama on TV, there's so much of Smash that's just filler. Like, yeah. And some of it is some of it is actually decent filler, but it's still filler. I mean, the stuff with Angelica Houston and her daughter was actually mm. was like slightly better filler. And then the <laughs> stuff with I mean, this, the whole bowling alley thing was utterly useless and offensive and they didn't even sing it they were lip-syncing the point was that they were lip-syncing to the radio yeah why are we spending our time with this you've got to be freaking kidding me and then there is one original number but it sucks and they've been promoing the crap out of it for the for weeks and weeks this 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 number and so the fact that i mean oh my god are we I had talking so many about the are we talking about the number touch me yeah which yeah i'm sorry ryan tedder you're useless and that pretty much lived up to expectation and yeah that also went on way too long like it didn't, way too long. it didn't take them the length of it shouldn't have taken them the length of that song to figure out it was a dumb idea well and the fact that immediately and it's done the the director derek or whatever is saying how they it, they did it was exceptional they did it was you know no this isn't not this isn't a good song now if it's supposed to not be a good song then that makes sense but if it's supposed to not be a good song they should realize that these brilliant writers directors should realize it and cut it off after 30 seconds as opposed to what three minutes of our time oh it felt like eight 
Um, oh my god! Yeah, it felt like it was never going to end, and everything to do with. I mean, thankfully they've put it on hold for now. But that whole early scene with um, with Deborah Messing and Michael, where oh my oh, god, oh he brings the family, and she's just oh, there's your family. That's so special. I'm so sad. <laughs> I care about them so much. I've been a fool. It's like you guys have been having an affair for a couple days, yeah. a couple weeks, and you've grown a conscience. I mean, wow. Wow. Yeah, everything. But it's just mind-bogglingly terrible. It's a really terrible episode. And then, perhaps the most frustrating thing in the entire episode, is there was a freaking great scene at the end. I really liked that scene between Tom and Derek, where we finally find out why they why Tom, Tom hates him. And we get some actual discussion of the struggle of trying to make a, mu- a musical about Marilyn, about the duality of the character, about all these interesting mm-hmm. issues related to what what this musical would mean for trying to make it and these two characters. And it was really great. Yeah, I, I think I... So I can't stop watching the show. <laughs> I think I very specifically said a few weeks ago, man, how great would Smash be if it were a show about making a musical and getting into the nitty gritty of trying to, you know fit someone's life into a musical. I, d- I did like that they acknowledged the musical needs a name this week, which is like Marilyn, <laughs> really. Although if they end up calling it Norma Jean, I'm going to punch something. Well, and the the other thing about that scene is that it actually felt real. Yeah. The emotions in, and the performances and the dialogue felt real. And it made everything else, everything else was not good in this episode. It was a bad episode. But the the truth and the raw emotion in that scene made just made the rest of the episode just pale in comparison and just showed how phony and fake and filler and waste of our time yeah. everything else on that show is. Well, I think it showed off the fact that, I mean, we've already sung Jack Davenport's praises. I think uh, Christian Borle, who plays Tom, has been pretty consistent as well. And I actually, there was one other good scene. I, I liked uh, Tom with breaking, Ivy. Talk, breaking the news to Ivy was a good scene. Yeah, that was good too. And Derek's last scene with Ivy was all right too. So every basically anything that involves them and doesn't involve drama is yeah. uh, is generally good. Oh, we haven't even bitched about the fact that Ellis is all Ellis. over the is all over this episode. Just when we thought he might, you... and even at the, I love how at the end of the episode, Deborah Messing is like, "Oh well, he's not working with us, but he's still here." So I guess now yeah. we have to deal with him still. Which is kind of I'm how sorry. I feel. If you were an assistant and you came out and you talked to your bosses the way that he does in this episode, not only would your ass be fired, but if you are as prominent a producer as Angelica Houston is supposed to be, you would have a really hard time ever getting a job as an assistant in that you know, in, in that circle. Yeah. Again. This the condescension and like in his voice it was unbelievable. And so I mean, come on. These are people, pretty much everybody who's an actor on this show probably has an assistant. All of the prominent actors, at, at, at least. And yeah. and I assume most of the, the writers and the directors as well. You know, there's always a PA on, 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 on set. So shouldn't they all know better? Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? I'm calling for a, a general strike on behalf of the assistants who work on Smash until they get rid of Ellis. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, and then then they like like we we're saying, and then they go and have some really you know, great scenes at the end. And again, with that scene with Tom and Ivy, there was real emotion there, and you could tell that these character, these actors, and these characters 
have had to have experienced that mm -hmm. they know what that feels like and so that's why it felt so truthful and really worked so oh man yeah and it's already renewed for next season which is hilarious and yeah and they're gonna be doing the same musical oh it's gonna be uh kate it's gonna be so good and by go so good i mean so delightfully horrible it's gonna be awesome Okay, we spent way too much talking about Smash. I've noticed in the past few weeks, you know, that we'll spend about four minutes on episodes that we really like and try to because we're trying to fit so many different shows into this podcast. And then I'll 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 start out and we'll have like seven minutes about Smash that I have to try to trim down because it doesn't deserve that much talk. Uh, it's just so elaborately terrible, though. <laughs> Good times. We'll see what happens next week if they manage to turn it around or or continue on the path that they're going but let's take a quick break and come back and talk about the premiere the much anticipated premiere of Mad Men A Little Kiss One, two, three, Very memorably performed by Jessica Perret in this episode of Mad Men, their season five premiere, A Little Kiss. And I will mention, of course, that we now have weekly Mad Men reviews up at the website, as done by our, our Aussie contributor, Adam. So they should usually be up on Mondays because of, you know, the time delay. But but you can always check check out the website on, on Mondays if you want to find a, a review of what the sound on site people are thinking about Mad Men. By the way, starting this weekend, when you check the site on Mondays to look for TV reviews, you'll also find me writing about Game of Thrones. So that's kind of a big deal. Uh, so yeah, this was the Frenchest episode of TV of American television ever. I just want to point that out first. Not only did we have Jessica Paré singing some yay, she also, th and no Americans would ever notice this or know what it meant, but just before Right after the uh, birthday su surprise gets spoiled for, for Don, she throws a callis in there, and that's basically that's basically her dropping an f bomb on television, which was pretty awesome. But anyway, uh, I thought this was a really solid uh, return for the show. I mean, it's been over five hundred days since we had a new episode, <laughs> so I think anticipation couldn't really be higher, and I think it basically it met or exceeded expectations with panache. I mean, there's. So, I mean, it's a, it's, we're talking about a 90-minute episode, so obviously a lot has to happen, and a, a lot, we, I mean, it's not so much about a lot happening, as just sort of we get updated on a lot. And, uh, I mean, so much is different. I mean, Don is, Don and Megan are married. We assume, you know, that happened pretty quickly. And, uh, let's see, Joan is a, is a work, is a, is a stay-at-home mom for now, planning to come back to work. And you know, I guess Pete is still pretty much in the same in the same place well, with, uh, with Trudy. Yeah, he's out in the uh, he's out in the burbs. Out in uh, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. He is training he is in. I, yeah, I meant in terms of his dynamic with with over at SCDP. Mm -hmm. And Don seems to be a little bit different with clients, a little bit more blasé. Peggy's still very frustrated with him, and just generally frustrated with her dynamic. And of course, there's the whole race. Uh, issue which i think was handled really interestingly 
for, for me, the only part of the episode that didn't really work or didn't do much for me was Lane's whole thing with it, with interacting with Dolores, the girl who he, he gets her photo from a wallet. I'm not really sure what purpose that was supposed to serve other than showing us that he's dissatisfied in his marriage like everyone else is on the show. Well, and also, like, he has been in the past. He was this close to leaving his wife. Uh, was that last season? Uh, yeah. With his, he had his girlfriend uh, at the at the who was the Playboy Bunny. Um, yeah, I, I thought that they did a good job of addressing um, the time period that they were in of moving it forward. I thought the amount of time that they skipped made sense and really worked. Joan just being on the very the tail end of her maternity leave makes sense. Um, and I, you know, I really enjoyed I mean, some of it. I expected some of it. I didn't, and I did not expect uh megan and don to seem as functional as they do here <laughs> they seem they seem For the, how functional to you exactly well compare him to compare this to the other relationships we've seen don in compare this to he and betty we, we they make clear really quickly on that megan knows about dick whitman and so that shows that there that he is far more open with her and trusting with her than he ever was with with Betty, and that she doesn't care about that, and, and it has, is like an equal uh, partner at least in his past and in moving forward. And then, yes, there's some some games that they're playing back and forth, uh, but the fact that they seem to know each other so well, you don't think so? Well, except that. Uh, well, she doesn't know him that well. I she mean, doesn't... she does try to throw him a surprise party. Yeah. And sing for him in public, which I, I, you know, I know that I get that that's partially about her and not about him. But yeah, I, you know, clearly Peggy is right when she yeah. says that he wouldn't enjoy it. So I don't know if she knows him that well. Well, but the thing, but I feel like, uh, granted, it's hard to know how much of this is Don Draper acting, but at the party, he didn't seem uncomfortable. He didn't seem upset. He didn't seem like he didn't want to be there. I liked that they sort of, there was a, a reference in his posture and the way that he was sitting a few times at the party to his time with, with the beatniks, uh, you know, in the, uh, that mm-hmm. from before. So it was a flat, you know, a little bit of a flashback to this does actually more, a more bohemian um, uh, social life than we might expect from him does actually fit with his character and his in, in his past. So I like that shout out, but it's only later when he's tired that he feels embarrassed about her song and these other things. I don't know. Do you think that was just John pretending or do you think that he was actually was having an okay time and was only upset afterwards? I, I think, it, I mean, I think it could be both. I mean, the fact is he's regardless of which identity you choose, he is 40 years old and that weighs heavily on him. I, th- I mean, th- that's as I imagine it weighs uh, heavily on most people who, especially most men who turn forty. I mean, it's a big deal. Uh, uh, think... women too, just as much, if not more. <laughs> uh, right. Sorry. Yes, of course. Um, and I, I think if you if you're asking me, I th- I think yes, his his lifestyle is is changing, and I think t- that may, that may be partially exciting to him, but I think also he is beginning to feel like a man out of time somewhat, mm-hmm. especially because his his wife is yeah, sort of playing at the same level as him for once. And, you know, not sort of, she's not in the dark and he's, I think he's a little bit uncomfortable with that even and maybe can't admit it. Anyway, it's, it's hard to say exactly what's going on because we're so early in the season and they've only been married 
I think eight months now. And I don't know. I, I, all I have to say is if you're, if they're only eight, eight months into a marriage and there's already these weird games happening, like with the scantily clad cleaning and the slightly forcible sex, it's not a good sign. I do think that, I do think it shows progression in Don though, that after their slightly forcible sex, uh, that that he's honest with her about how he's actually feeling and where he's actually at, and that's something that, and I can't remember the name. Who was his girlfriend before Megan that he was serious with, but then dumped her for Megan, the blonde. Uh, I don't remember. She's gone. It was it was a year and a half ago. They, they seemed like a much more evenly matched pairing and a much. Much more that that he was much more honest and in a balanced relationship with her than with Megan. Right, the woman working in consulting. Yes, yeah. I remember now. Yeah, but and and so when when he went to with Megan Megan instead, and then so quickly was going to marry her, it seemed like he was sort of replicating his relationship with Betty, where there was a simpler, less uh, less threatening woman that he was going with that he could you know, more easily dupe and conceal things from. So, so for me, the fact that he is open with her about his past, that he's open with her eventually about why he's really upset that it's not her. It's that he doesn't like the people that he works with basically. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. And yeah, I mean, we've and talked I, for I, several I, minutes just about one scene or two scenes. Yeah. So that's yeah, clearly. That's, that shows you what's going on. And I have to say, and I'm not just rooting for, for a hometown gal here, I think Jessica Perry is, is a fantastic addition. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that she's already, I mean, I'm not a Betty hater, but I think she's going to be a way more interesting character to spend, you know, huge chunks of time with than Betty was. I'll say this. I didn't miss her. Yeah. Even I, a little I bit. I was amazed. We got, we had 90 some odd minutes of Mad Men and no Betty Francis, which I mean, apparently she was pregnant for some of the, for some of the uh, filming this year. So she's out understandably, but yeah. I think that uh, the uh, Megan is a is a much more dynamic character for me. Yeah, at least in this early going. I think I only really care about Betty in regards to uh, Sally at this point, and we'll see where that progresses. I also really liked what we got with Joan, and I particularly enjoyed her scene with with Lane. It was was so lovely, and I mean yeah. I've been a fan of Christina Hendricks going back since Firefly. Um, so so to see her get some really great stuff to play was a lot of fun, and just just her scene with the the new receptionist was hilarious uh, and so much fun for me. So I, I, I don't know, I didn't, I, I would like to see them toy. It seemed like they were going to toy with postpartum depression with Trudy, at least from the conversation on the train. Um, between mm -hmm. between Pete and and his his buddy, I guess, and then they didn't they didn't go there, um, so we'll see how things work with the two of them um, this season. But in general, I'm really optimistic, and I, I don't think it was a great episode, but I thought it was solid, and a solid Mad Men episode is a good episode of television. Yeah, totally. I think it was a very good reintroduction. I also just want to mention I loved everything with Harry oh. and his and his horrible horrible comments. Yeah. And his deep, deep shame. Yeah, well, and, that was and fantastic. And also, Roger buying the uh, the 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 office from him was pretty great. And uh, yeah, and and yeah, lots of great lines. It's my baby, and, yeah. and all that stuff. And 
lots lots of goodness. I mean, I'm just I'm just so tickled to have the show back. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see how the season progresses, but I'm sure it'll be another. I mean, Mad Men has been in general very consistent. So we'll since, since season two, I would say yeah. I mean, to me, season three is still the high water mark, mm-hmm. but we'll see how it goes yeah so i guess just a few show notes here wrapping up before we go to to our season spotlight as opposed to weekly spotlight um you can reach us of course we'll have a post up at soundonsite.org where you can leave comments please leave comments let us know what you thought of the the finales and premieres from this week and uh and and all of the the exciting things in television right now i can't wait for game of thrones to start next week and uh <laughs> as well as just these continually awesome episodes of, of justified and, and so many other great shows right now. Um, you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at the televerse. You are at sucker howl. Of course we have uh, our, the podcast up on iTunes. You can subscribe there to either a uh, chaptered M4A or an unchaptered MP3 feed. Um, if you don't want to do iTunes, like I know some of our listeners aren't fans of, and you want to stream it, we're, stream this podcast. We're also on Current. You can find us there. And you can also always send us emails, theteleverse at gmail.com. Um, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. And I think that's, I think that's enough. What do you think? Yeah, let's let her roll. Yeah, well, we're going to take a break and listen to a clip and some, some music, and we'll be back with, with Ty Landis of the Real Film Podcast to talk about this season of luck. We could afford multiple hot tubs, plus music upstairs and downstairs. Not to mention the first we won from Mongetso winning the race, which I take pride in as the owner with a time faster than the time we had derby race. For Mongetto, which, if his legs stay okay, I believe, I believe, can look any derby horse in the eye. And to the small possibility of that going broke. Mongetto. Mongetto. Televerse. This is Kate Kulzig, joined as ever by Simon Howell, and this week, instead of the DVD shelf, we are taking a longer look at the HBO series Luck, which just finished up its first and final season, and to help us discuss this, from real time, it's Ty Landis. Ty, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. So, I, t- Simon and I have been talking about Luck on the podcast pretty much every week. We're, we're fans of the series. Uh, what about you? I'm a huge fan. I mean, to be honest, it's really like the only like series I've watched like this television season. Um, so like it's every Sunday. It's been just huge for me. And I'm just sad to see it go. I've just been immersed in this world that Milch and Mann have created. And now that it's now that it is over, I'm extremely sad and don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just need to get back to making more fabulous television shows. If it can't be this one, then, you know, they just need to come up with something else, I guess. Right. Yeah. The, let's talk. start by talking about the finale. It was, of course, uh, much anticipated. We had the horse, the, the races of the three horses we've been following over the course of the season. Um, did you think that it lived up to your expectations, Ty? 
It did. I mean, it seemed oddly as if the creators knew, like somehow knew that this was this last episode was going to be the series finale. Like, do you guys know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I felt like even though obviously, you know, what was the was it was the second season shut down like during the second episode of filming or something like that? Yeah, they were they were they had gotten well into filming and and uh, when they shut it down. But I don't know. I mean, it just seemed oddly like this was a good exit um, for the show. So, I mean, I was really pleased by it. Um, I think it it took care of I mean, it didn't wrap up a lot of arcs, but I was satisfied by the way that they handled a lot of the characters and, you know, their plights throughout this season. So I was I was really satisfied by the finale. What I find interesting about the well, there's a bunch of stuff that's interesting about the luck finale, but it came out this week in an interview with David Milch that when he was writing the Deadwood finale, Supposedly, he knew it was going to be the finale, which is surprising if you've seen the Deadwood finale. Um, whereas this episode, clearly, I mean, I there's obviously when you're making a, a TV show, when they when they were writing this season, they weren't sure they were going to get renewed. But I think given the cast and the talent involved, they sensed there was probably a fairly good likelihood and they did get renewed maybe a week or a week and a half into airing this season, despite the fact that the ratings weren't great. So you wouldn't expect necessarily, you'd expect more like a, of a Deadwoody ending, but actually, yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it does feel quite final. I think by this nine episode mark, we've reached a point where most of the characters have shifted in one way or another. And even if we're, we did, we don't check in with all of them really in this episode, but it, it does feel quite final in a lot of ways. So much of the episode is the culmination of journeys we've seen for the past several weeks. I mean, just something like Leon, his you know where he gets to with uh, his racing and, and being bumped from the, from the Derby, and uh, also in his relationship with Rosie. That's been a nice journey that we've watched. And same thing with Joey, and same thing with these uh, the four A stables guys. I, there, there's a real sense of finality to it, and it's because some. On some shows, they always try to make each season finale have a sense of closure, um, and whereas on others, they like to, you know, if anything, ramp up to cliffhangers for the next season. And so I was just so glad when I saw this that, I mean, Milch has a long track record of excellent finales, and I would say this is right in with all of those great Deadwood finales. Right. I just want to kind of play devil advocate with you guys real quick, just to jump off topic, jump off topic of the actual uh, episode just real quick. I mean, do you guys get the sense that the show would have went on past season two? Or do you think, you know, there were enough, the the small fan base would have been able to carry it on past season two? I was always under the impression that there were, you know, HBO isn't necessarily a show based. I mean, it's it's subscription based. So whenever I was seeing its ratings being listed along with everything else, I was kind of skeptical that it was really that low. That I mean, or rather that, 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 that few, that low in number of people were actually watching it. That being said, I mean, I'm not sure. A lot of HBO shows have gone on longer than you would expect based on the fact that they didn't necessarily have great viewership. And, and you know, they may have felt compelled to keep it around if it was really a prestige drama, which Luck got fairly good press, I think. And I think that probably would have just gotten, I think that would have just gain steam over the course of his second season. So I could see it going on longer than that, especially with the people attached. But of course that's all folly to think about now. Right. Yeah. I think if it had 
you know, become one of their award-winning dramas. Like if it, if it had swept, you know, swept some categories at the, uh, the Emmys or something like that. And, you know, in this next year, our ratings had improved. Then maybe if the ratings had stayed still, I would, I would kind of guess that it would have been two and done, but unfortunately we, we don't get to find out. <laughs> yeah. So how about the, the journey over the course of the season? I know for me, like my impressions of the pilot were were really different than where, where the series started to go. At the In the pilot, I was really interested in Dustin Hoffman's character and, and everything he was dealing with, and I, I could not have cared less about the the gamblers, the Forest Stables guys, whereas over the course of the you know the season, it that really reversed for me. How about for you guys? Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 feel, I think I feel kind of the opposite. Like, during, I guess, the first two or three maybe episodes, I was kind of alienated and detached, you know, in terms of Hoffman's character. I didn't really find him that interesting. But I guess as the season progressed, he became more of a standout among the cast. I mean, I know he obviously has, he's the most, you know, championed actor probably in the cast, maybe other than Nolte, I guess. But yeah, I mean, as the season wore on, I definitely felt more in tune with Hoffman. But just from the beginning, the 4A stable guys have been incredible. And also, you know, um, Starting off Escalante this season was just a such a total prick. I mean, but he's kind of warmed up towards the end of the season. And I wasn't quite sure if I liked what they were doing with the whole side plot with him and Joe and the the little boy that they would probably end up, you know, adopting if there was a season two. But I don't know. I felt myself, you know, those those characters, the 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 gamblers, Escalante and Ace, I found myself gravitating gravitating to towards the end of the season. I think for me personally, it's not so much about Hoffman as it is about which plot you're choosing to talk about. I think he's great through the whole show. Fantastic even. and Just ending on that last shot of him tearing up at the goat makes you realize how much great acting you've watched him do over the last nine hours, or slightly over nine hours. Yeah. And um, I, th I think for me everything to do with him and horses is has been amazing. I mean, some of the best scenes, like him falling asleep in the in the stable, sort of hanging out with the injured horse, was fantastic, and some other stuff as well. Everything to do with Claire, played by Joan Allen, I, I really liked as well. Was really sweet, uh, surprisingly sweet for a for a milk show, and it, rather surprisingly straightforwardly sweet. That being said, the stuff with Michael Gambon, and don't get me, don't get me wrong, I love Michael Gambon. I really thought the guy could do no wrong, but the whole aspect of him dealing with Mike and the sort of scheming and scheming and counter scheming never really clicked for me. It felt like it was in a different show to me. That felt like everything I, I really enjoyed his first episode, Michael Gambon's first episode and what we got there, but ever since then it's just it's so divorced from the track and from the what's going on there and what's going on with the horses that that it never really connected for me. And who knows, in season two, maybe it would have come around and, and maybe there was a longer game plan there. But I think that was the biggest, my biggest problem with the, the Gambin storyline. It's just, it, I, I kept wanting to, you know, get away from those scenes to, to just spend more time hanging out with Nick Nolte talking to a horse. Or even, totally. You know, it's, and it was also such a different, so many of the performances, I wouldn't say naturalistic. I mean, there's some, definitely some stylized elements to a lot of the main performances, but something about Gambin's performance is just so over the top and cackly and mustache twirly that it really <laughs> was jarring to me. Yeah. I mean, do you guys think you would have appreciated him more if they kind of, uh, 
didn't stretch out that 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 his plots, you know, or his you know dynamic with Ace throughout the whole season. I mean, because it was it was kind of delayed. You're kind of always waiting for something to happen, and then you know Israel and we, you know what goes down with him finally takes place. But and it kind of goes further. But do you guys wish they kind of sped that up a little bit? The the term the contrast between or the the excuse me the the dynamic between Ace and um uh, Mike. I think it's not so much about speed as it is about tone. Like like Kate was saying, I think the tone and surprising lack of complexity. Like if if you. Yeah. If if you look at sort of the and I hate to make a Deadwood comparison, but you know we're talking about milk here. If you look at the density of plot and the complexity of plot in the arc of a the average Deadwood storyline, there's just way more going on. And here it just seemed like we we spent a lot of time watching these characters talk about what they were going to do, what they had to do in order to defeat the other person, and then they spent a really long time doing it, and then not much would happen. Right. Well, and they also felt rather nondescript to me yeah. um, between Mike and then also his henchmen, for lack of a better word. I, you know, I besides crazy I, and a little gaudy, I can't think of another descriptor for, for Mike. And I certainly can't think of any for Ted Levine and the other, you know, henchmen like characters. And that's which really seemed like a waste to me. Yeah. I wasn't as into it, um, you know, just like you guys were, but I, it did keep my interest throughout the season. I know it was left open-ended, but I was kind of satisfied in terms of where they left it. I think, um, you know, if they were to go into a second season, I think, you know, the whole the whole manifestation of the goat kind of plays into Ace's you know, physical manifestation of his, maybe his luck is changing. And, you know, that final shot kind of uh, nudges you toward that that logic, so it would have been interesting to see where they actually took that storyline if the second season did end up happening. I do think that that storyline, sort of in spite of itself, did produce some great scenes. Especially, obviously, the the whole Nathan Israel getting killed thing was probably one of the like six or seven best scenes of the whole series, mm-hmm. if only for syntax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, getting killed by grammar. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing. Speaking of good scenes, there are any, any number of great scenes over the course of the series. For me, the, I think my favorite ones are gonna remain the, the races though. I think they did such an amazing job on the show of filming horses and, and, and really showing the beauty and the athleticism and the majesty of these horses and really conveying why they go to the track. Aside from the money, aside from, you know, the gambling, but why they go, they, why they pick this particular type of gambling. And so for me, I, I really loved the racing scenes. Do you guys have other fa- favorites? Well, I think it's, for me, it's not just the racing scenes. I think one thing they did really, really skillfully, and they did this especially well with the first race of the finale, is they really take their time with building a sequence out of the race that starts well before it and sometimes goes after it where you get that. And I think that what they always talked in interviews, Milch did at least about sort of the magic of, of, of the track, which sounds corny, but I think they really did capture that particular sense of anticipation and, and excitement is everyone sort of tries to figure out exactly what's going to happen. And they've, you know, they, they have, they have dreams of a big win and, they also just so I guess some people are just there to see a show, and you see all these dueling factions just sit down and wait, and then snap they go. You watch, and sometimes that's intercut with 
things from other parts in the series, which I think was done really effectively in either episode four or five. I can't remember which. And it's really, it becomes a, a quite, qu- quite a long sequence in some cases. And it basically always works because the, the visual of just the, the, the horses racing is so effective. And that's one of the reasons it was so smart to bring along Michael Mann, I think, because he's noted for his kineticism. And I think he's one of the few guys who they could have brought on to really get that visual dynamic right in the pilot and then have it sort of be there as a framework. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that kind of worried me from the beginning of the season was, you know how, like, early on there would be, like, an injury in the race and you're like, all right, how how long can they, you know, possibly go on with this? But as the season went on, you know, there were different dynamics through each race. I think in the one episode there was actually... I forget which one it was. It was in the middle of the uh, middle of the season. There was the tie, and they kind of went through that long drawn out process in determining the winner. And maybe you know Leon might have cheated, you know, um, you know, accidentally, not you know. But I don't know. I mean, everything with the four A stables guys really just drew me in. I mean, the guys are so charming for being such degenerates. Like it's just amazing how you know um, accessible they are to 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 the audience. And I think Marcus especially is kind of aside from maybe. Um, you know, maybe Escalante. I think Marcus maybe had like the best lines of the season. I don't know. I mean, he was obviously, he was, I feel like most of the memorable lines came from him as a character and they were just charming as during the whole season. So every, anything with them, especially the races, as you guys mentioned, were just really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kevin Dunn, Richie Coster, and all those guys have just been fantastic. Yeah. And I hope they can find, you know, uh, work like this. Cause you know, I don't really know what they've been in um, just as character actors. I know they all are, but just, I hope they can get quality work like this after, you know, the show has been canceled. It is really a, a strong cast throughout. I was trying to think of if I was going to say a standout who my pick would be, but there are just too many. I haven't gotten, like I've mentioned before, we haven't gotten to see Richard Kind get anything like this, at least on television before. And he's great. And Nick Nolte is amazing and so such a perfect fit for this character. And then I also really enjoyed Carrie Condon and all the 4A stable guys too. So for me, and, and that's not even mentioning Hoffman, who's fantastic and his dynamic with Dennis Freeman is really great too. So, I mean, I do think it's probably what the best ensemble cast in, the, in television this past year at least for the new series probably i mean it it i mean i think the acting has really just been the centerpiece of the show the the, the writing you know has been more sort of i if i can say this sort of distractingly awesome in some episodes than others it's, or rather been more sort of ostentatiously awesome <laughs> but um i think the acting has been really solid throughout and as much as much as i like the forest stables guys i have to just mention quickly that I, I don't know why I was only struck by it in this last episode, but I love Escalante's outfits, <laughs> and now I want one. I don't care if it. I don't care if it still has a T E on it. I still want one. The uh, flannel in the vest every episode. Yeah, yeah. it's a good look. <laughs> the khaki pants. Yeah. It's worth mentioning that I don't know if you guys knew this, but Dustin Hoffman's grandson in this episode is actually his uh, son in real life. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, I noted that in in, in my recap. I, I I wonder if they had a conversation about yeah, you're not really credible. As my my son, I'm going to cast you as my grandson. Right. Yeah. Well, we are, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Do you guys have any final thoughts? Um, Not really. I mean, I hope for the people that maybe fell off of the show mid-season or just didn't give it a chance at all, just didn't maybe have the time or, you know, I hope that it can find a new life on, you know, Blu-ray or DVD or whatever. So I guess I would just, you know, see uh, point out for people that, you know, if they want to see great television, just a riveting um, nine hours of TV. Just check it out if you get the chance. It's really worth it. And uh, I would say I hope I really hope that this show doesn't just become 
sort of a joke in retrospect, or if not a joke, just sort of something that people make snarky comments about without ever ever having actually watched, just based on the really strange nature of its cancellation, combined with its cast, which I think makes it a target for such things. And I, I really do think it was doing some some particularly interesting stuff that really only it was doing. And I'm sad to see it go. Yeah, actually, just in closing, I just I had a friend that mentioned he would have been okay with if man had killed three humans in order to keep the show going. So, <laughs> well, I well, it is brutal to think about. I kind of echo his sentiment. So, well, only if we can choose which three humans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good times! Yay, controversy! <laughs> um, so, Ty, where can our listeners find you online? You could find me at realtimepodcast.org, and I'm also on Twitter at ty underscore landis. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Um, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Television. <laughs>